Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Last time we got together, we talked a bunch about kind of big picture fiscal stuff. We talked about the permanent fund and the dividend and we talked about taxes and we talked about uh, this idea of a, what do we call it, structural deficit. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was interesting because this week, a whole bunch of pieces of that puzzle just tumbled out of the box. So we we saw... (laughs) Uh, an oil tax proposal introduced. We saw a sales tax proposal, um, not Preview. quite introduced, but floated, I guess. And we saw a lot of discussion about the permanent fund. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this week, the, the I guess really the precipitating event here is uh, we got the spring revenue forecast out. So the state up kind of does two um, big updates of the revenue picture for the year, one in the fall, one in the spring. And it's really kind of looking at, you know, what it's really primarily looking at, like, what is oil doing, right? What's oil going to do for the next year? What do we think oil is going to do for the next 10 years? And so it's all kind of a picture there. And basically, uh, the news is that it's not doing as well as it was as they thought it would be doing last fall. So basically, what that means is the deficits in this year are bigger, the deficits in next year are bigger. So the House, they advanced their budget this week, it has they went from the full dividend that the governor has proposed to a 50 50 dividend. I think they had a a surplus in their budget for about 24 hours between when they advanced that and then when the new um, revenue picture came out, it really makes pretty clear pretty quickly that you're not going to be able to easily balance the budget with a big dividend and nothing else, right? And so I think it's really made a lot of people realize that something else has got to be done here. And what that is, is kind of unclear. I think the Senate, you know, they have their permanent fund dividend bill out, which is the 75-25 split. Surprised that one basically balances the budget just fine. Legislative Finance Director Alexi Painter even said that, you know, like through all the different ups and downs of the revenue picture, the 75 25 works and it's always kind of worked. Now, hold, hold on a second, Matt. Before you go much further here, you're, you're saying 50 50, 25 75. Yeah. Can you, oh, can right, you explain, right, right. explain that to me? What do you mean when you're, when you're throwing those numbers out? What does that mean? <laughs> Well, it's the it's 75% of the POMV of the ERA now. So yeah. so the Alaska Permanent Fund, right, a couple years ago, they set up a plan basically where, you know, um, uh, a certain percentage of it is available to spend every year. And so that's called the percent of market value. It's the POMV plan kind of, and you'll hear people talk about. But, you know, there's a certain amount of it is available every year. The thinking there is that that amount is enough to basically keep the rest of it healthy and growing, right? But getting back to like our trust fund analogy, like we've got a trust fund and if we spend responsibly, it'll be there forever. And so this these earnings that spin off of it, this percent of market value, yeah. keeps it growing responsibly forever. And then how we split up those earnings is really what we're talking about. So are those right. earnings split 50-50 between a dividend and state services? Or are we giving 75% of it to state services and 25 to a dividend? And like that's what we're talking about, right? When we talk about the... Right. Okay. And the 50-50 kind of, right, it has a little bit of a historical background to it. You know, the idea of kind of going all the way back to the fund when they set up the dividend, right, was that 
like government was going to be getting half. They they never did because they had oil, so they were saving it. And it gets into a whole lot of different discussions there. But kind of in the really broad terms of, of things is that, you know, you can get to a 50-50 where it works if you have more revenue. If you don't want more revenue, the 75-25 split works. And that's really kind of, the, that's really the, the basic picture here is like, we have a state government that we have to fund to some level. And if we don't want to make massive cuts to it, which we've done for the last decade, then we have to figure out either additional cuts to the dividend, which we've already done, or new revenue. And that's what's interesting this week is that we actually have kind of some conversations about new revenue. But I think the, the there's a quote this week that I really want to like focus on because I think it really pulls this whole conversation into a really clear um, picture here. And it comes from um, Senator Lyman Hoffman, uh, one of the longest, either one of the or the longest serving legislator, def- and maybe one of the longest, uh, one of the people who's been around the building for like the longest amount of time period, made a comment in Senate Finance Committee about really like who pays for what. And so I'll pull that up right now and I'll just aim my microphone at it and we'll find the clip later. Okay. The problem I think that many people had on in the other body and the discussions in the public is that why are we looking only at um, the people of Alaska to balance the state's coffers? There are other mechanisms. We, we took the, the, the one major step in, in uh, revising the POMV draw, but there are other players, um, um, and one of them obviously is looking at additional revenue measures and trying to preserve the uh, the integrity of uh, of the program, I know it's it's a little hard to discuss. But uh, the other option that has been discussed last year, we had a, a bill that had uh, had a 75-25 for about four years and stair stepped up to a 50-50, and that is what I'm a version of that I'm contemplating bringing before this committee. Because I don't believe that uh, the only uh, only the people of Alaska should be hit by a 1.3 billion dollar reduction in dividends. I think that uh, that uh, that we should consider um, other options and other players to balance out <clears throat> the um, the state's checkbook. So. Um, a lot of things have not changed, I agree, but uh, the one thing that has not changed is for this committee to make tough decisions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You know, so following this hearing, the House Rules Committee slash Senator Bill Wilikowski um, introduced an oil tax measure, right? And it goes after basically a lot of the issues that we see with the de- Willow development, right? Where basically, you know, the the early years of Willow, because of the way the state's oil tax structure is set up, will cost the state between, you know, a quarter billion and a billion dollars plus over the development, because they can basically take the costs of developing that field and and deduct it against the costs of others. So they have a legislation that would close that loophole, kind of take the edges off some other elements of it. I don't know if we have like a super clear 
revenue number on just how much that bill would raise. But I think that, you know, when we look at what the revenue will fill it, I think tinkering with an existing tax versus setting up a whole new tax out of whole cloth with, you know, all the administration elements of it. That was a big discussion last time when we talked about income tax and sales taxes, like you got to administer them. And Mm -hmm. so I think that there's a lot of thinking that, well, okay, there's sort of these obvious, you know, hitches with the oil tax plan. A lot of people that are in the Senate majority also didn't really like the oil tax changes when it was when it were, when they were made yeah i mean those just skinned skinned by at the time right and i think that um so i think that that's going to be you know a preferred option for a lot of people especially when you're looking at you know okay well so what are the other options right uh, income tax sales tax i can't imagine that senator hoffman would be particularly you know thrilled with the sales tax right i mean think about how that would you know, be implemented in rural Alaska where things are considerably more expensive, right? So right. I, I think that, you know, it kind of makes sense. And you know, honestly, too, I, I go back and think about a lot of the conversations I had like five, six, seven years ago when we were talking about, you know, what we're going to do with the, with the state's fiscal picture. And a lot of people go, okay, well, what's going to happen is we're going to run out of money <laughs> and then we'll have to figure something out. And the most likely thing we'll probably turn to is the thing that we've always, you know, relied on really in the last, you know, however many years is oil and oil taxes. And so, you know, I think that that's makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, if, if, you know, especially if you're looking for what's the sort of easiest thing to get in place the quickest, right? Because that's the thing is that, you know, you have deficits this year moving forward. And so I, I think that's kind of where it's at, at least sort of from his perspective right now. And I, I also do like the idea, um, you know, the other element too that Senator Hoffman has talked about is, okay, well maybe we start out at the 75-25 split because it works right now, you know, the, with the understanding that, you know, whatever new revenue you put online is gonna take years to come online, right? Right, and that's where that stair step makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you put a system in place, and, and it also kind of holds, I think, the legislature's feet to the fire a little bit more as far as, like, getting this stuff done. Because, we you know, we've talked about that before, too, is that, you know, the, the state of the state's budget is so disconnected from, you know, the overall state of the Alaska economy outside of oil that there's not a ton of, like, impetus to, to do anything. But if, if they can say, okay, well, you know, we're going to figure out some sort of new revenue— and it will help me deliver larger cash payments to my to my to my constituents. There's a little bit more motivation to actually like solve the problem. I think. I think. I mean, that's yeah. the thing is that like we're really on the kind of front door of this latest round of conversations about it. So what's interesting to me here is that the way he talked about this is he's speaking about. Um, you know, the people of Alaska, he's talking about a specific user group of people that rely on the permanent fund dividend. And for me, I'm thinking about that framework of that conversation we had with Cliff Grow last week, where he outlined six user groups. He said there's the um, people who are PFD recipients who are afraid of the PFD going away. He said there's uh, people who are wealthy who are afraid of paying taxes. He said there's oil companies who are afraid of having increased uh, tax burden on them, their businesses. He said there's municipal governments who are afraid of having increased uh, cost shifting from the uh, state government. He said there's uh, people who are worried about cuts to services. He said there's people who are worried about 
just kind of a big overall crash of Alaska of Alaska's economy and, and essentially our you know our ability to live and exist here. And so those are kind of like the six groups they listed. And if you think about that list, people's PFDs have already been cut. That group has already been hit and and mm-hmm. that, that train's left the station. The people who rely on services, we're seeing that right now. People people have lost services, uh, programs of have closed up at the university. People yeah, aren't getting really long food stamps. Food stamps, right? Exactly. Yeah. So services are already on the already got already got chopped. Right. Municipal government cost shifting has happened. You know, we've seen um, huge discussions about how municipal governments have had to take on increased burdens because the state's no longer doing things. So that's already happened. So really, like half of these user groups have already been impacted, and it makes sense to just go the rest of the way and. To, and to make sure that you know, like everyone's doing a, their part to carry this load. So what that means to me is like, yes, we're going to need to make some adjustments to the oil taxes, and yes, we're going to probably need to Im- impose an income tax. So I th- I think that the the thing I'm seeing is that we're kind of already, you know, this all ju- let's all jump at once solution is yeah. kind of like we're all sort of tripping off the bridge into the lake. <laughs> well, and I think that Willow really kind of changes it too, um, because you know I was around when they were were doing the last oil taxing as Senate Bill twenty one under Sean Par- Governor Sean Parnell. Sure. Yeah, I remember that one. And a lot, of, you know, a lot of the thinking kind of around the edges there was that well, Alaska's oil fields are kind of in decline, right? And we and we really need to find ways to help the producers basically maximize the last drops of oil on there. And now, you know, there's a huge potential new find. You know, it kind of really does sort of change, I think, how people think about the oil fields and the oil industry in Alaska again. And so, you know, I think there's a little bit of like, oh, we got to get our we got to we got to get our part of it. And I think it you know, really does the, the change in the Senate makeup, you know, is pretty significant on that front. Right. Um, you know, when they passed it in. 2013, you know, they had a narrow Republican majority where they, you know, they passed, I think, all the the legislation with like 11 votes. Um, And now, you know, there's only 11 Republicans total. And, you know, at least two of them were no votes on the last oil, you know, package, right? And those being Senator, Senators um, Stedman and House Senate President Gary Stevens, right? And so um, I think that there's some real attention there, you know, whether it can actually make it through the house and the Senate, big, big, big question mark on that. But I, I think the fact that when you look over in the house, you also are seeing, you know, the reaction to the lower oil prices, the lower revenue, the fact that like, you just can't make it work. Right. And that's sort of the, the sort of the fundamental problem with all this is that I think there is a, there is a growing recognition that the cuts to the dividend, especially the 75, 25 level are pretty, pretty severe. Right. Um, Well, and it's interesting that you've got a conservative house majority uh, that essentially, you know, many of them campaigned on this full dividend and they've already given up on, they've already given up on, they, they are in a position to write their own ticket they could have put out a budget that has a full dividend in it and they did not they chose not to that it yeah. wasn't like they were overcome by you know the the minority well, it, party they just yeah. didn't even come out of the gate with that proposal because mm-hmm. it's right. not realistic yeah and i think it like to me you know there's a there's a level of frustration and 
to me about that just because like look we could have been doing so much different stuff over the last like five or, or four to six years uh if if not you know if they had not if they've been willing to basically like look at the numbers and, and not kind of campaign for a majority and now they are in the majority i mean i guess thankfully they're in the majority now because they at least have to come to grips with the reality of the budget situation because you know i think you know they basically have been hollering for the last six years you know you know looking for new levers to make you know pain you know through the constitutional budget reserve votes through the reverse sweep issues all these sort of things are all really the 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 result of these this you know tooth and nail fight over the dividend and so you know like I mean, I guess I guess it's good that they're in the majority now and see that see the you know yeah. the, the responsibility of getting that you need to be able to pass a budget that balances. So okay, yeah. I, tell me a little bit more about this oil tax. Um, the, as I understand it, it's it's kind of this like ring fencing model where you're um, right now we've got some some holes in our tax law where if 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 I create a big giant awesome project then. Uh, I can uh, get some credits that I can actually now I can use those credits on other projects that may not be related to this new field. Um, and so it allows people to like kind of write off existing uh, fields, as I understand it. A couple different issues here. So I'll run down them kind yeah. of as, as I understand them. We're going to have more hearings this upcoming week, so I will know more then. But basically, the big issue here is that, yeah, so there's a thing called ring fencing, right? which if you haven't been listening to several years of Senate resource and Senate finance committee hearings, uh, you might not know what it means, but basically the idea is that uh, right now, if I already have a big oil development that's producing, it's underway, but I am going to go over and, and, and start a new one somewhere completely different. Currently, I can take my operating expense losses on one field and then apply them against my taxes on another field. Ring fencing, quite you know means what it means right where they they you put a fence basically around each project and say you know you're expect you're basically we view each um field as its own kind of business right its yeah. own vert and so you can't take your taxes from one and, and put them to another project you would eventually be able to deduct it against you know if so if i am building a field and then once it comes online then i could deduct it against those taxes wasn't there even you know? a thing for a while where they could write off losses out of state or out of country even or something like that is that yeah get, yeah that's that a whole take, did that get fixed or is that part of this i don't i'm not entirely sure okay i mean that's it, it is interesting because there's so many of these little pieces that they're dealing with now that were like not that were kind of like uh, quietly sort of slash yeah. sort of shadily injected into the senate bill 21 they're like that billion like dollar nobody problems. could no. yeah that like nobody no. could really like explain why it was there but all of a sudden it's like massively a big pain in the ass like 10 years later and a lot of it is you know so there's another several other credits in here that we you know you we often hear about the per barrel credits um it's another billion dollar reduction basically they would take the edge off of those so it wouldn't be as much that you could deduct there's also like some areas break-even points on like oil price. If the oil's above seventy dollars, you can deduct more. If it's below seventy dollars, you can't deduct against certain stuff. There's all these like different little. I mean, really, it's there's all these little tiny off ramps they basically built into the oil tax yeah. structure well, that that's what basically when you let the oil companies write their own tax law. Exactly. I mean, I think it's exactly we're really <laughs> unwinding a lot of these things that you know I remember watching back then where it was like. 
well, where did this idea come from? And and nobody could say it because it was the oil tax lobbyist that was like literally putting it in, or or somebody you know involved, you know, someone's partner or spouse or business partner or best friend or whatever. And I think that's like what is is kind of fun to see now, right? Is that you know Senator Stedman has got a good long memory of things, and I'm I bet him and, and a lot of the other legislators, you know, they knew all this stuff was getting kind of put in there against their will. You know, these are people who oppose it all. And I think that they're seeing the problems now. And so it'll be interesting to sort of see whether or not we can get unwind this stuff. But I do think that, yeah, like a lot of it is all these like little knobs that were turned in that process that were, you know, never all that well explained. And, and some of them were kind of added at the last minute and, Little innocuous um, rules that add up to like a billion dollars over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so after Willow got approved, there were several stories that you might have seen that were saying, oh, it's going to cost the state a billion dollars. Right. And so we also got an updated, you know, look at that number this week where they yeah. say, oh, no, it's only going to cost $300 million and it will be positive to the state by 2030 instead of 2040. The thing is, though, is that like it, it all that's only because we are now think oil prices are going to be lower, right? If oil prices actually go up, which they very well could, it could cost more than a billion dollars, right? And so the target's like moving constantly, you know. Yeah. And I think some of this bill really is is really just trying to kind of get our arms around this problem before it becomes a problem right because we mm-hmm. haven't had like a huge massively expensive oil development on the north slope yet yeah. under this new regime it was all hypothetical and, so, and now it's real right and, and so yeah i mean we'll we'll find we'll find out right uh but i think you know i, I think it is interesting so you know over in the house we do have you know they're they're talking about a sales tax over there. I don't know how much um, actual information we have on that yet. I, I, the legislation hasn't been reduced or introduced yet. I thought that one was particularly interesting because it's tied to or tied to Representative Carpenter, which is yeah an odd place for a revenue measure to come from. And so it makes me feel like it's probably just designed to like head off an income tax at the pass and be sort of a concession revenue. You know the 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 problem. There's a a ton of problems with a sales tax when you're starting to talk about yeah. like who pays and 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 how fair it is. And I think with the sales tax, like what is frustrating to me is when we talk. You know, going back to Senator Hoffman's discussion about like, you know, the people of Alaska are paying for the you know the deficit with you know 1.3 billion dollars in in, in in dividend reductions is mostly Alaskans are going to be paying a sales tax, right? You know, there's there's the tourism industry, right? But, you know, by and large, it's going to still be these people, you know, and that's why, like, an income tax is interesting to me is because there's a lot of people, right, who basically fly in, fly to Prudhoe Bay, and fly back out. And they, you know, they maybe don't even spend, they maybe buy McDonald's at the Anchorage airport, and that's about all the money they're leaving in the state. And so... You know, I think that's that's what is interesting to me, where we start to talk about, you know, widening the players that are, are helping pay for the state's budget, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that. I think to me that is what Hoffman is sort of talking about. There is just, 
you know, the people of Alaska, right, are, are paying for it through the dividend. Oil companies aren't paying for it. Out-of-state workers aren't paying for it. And so, you know, how we start to capture that is, is going to be a good question. And and to me, like, you know, the sales tax, again, you sort of, you know, you talk about the, the, the amount that you need to, you know, that all the sort of infrastructure you need to, you know, collect sales tax. What are you going to be doing? You know, how are you going to collect sales tax, you know, in rural Alaska at the corners, you know, at the store that sells milk for $12 is our groceries going to be part of it, right? Are, you know, are, how do you, what's included in a sales tax? Is there a cap on it? Is, you know, I know some places, you know, you only pay a sales tax on the first $100,000 of a product or something you know, like that. It's also a burden on retailers. You know, I've, yeah. I've got a little shop and it, we collect, Sale, collect and remit sales tax for the city. So for us, it'd be less of a problem to to add a percentage or whatever for the state. But for someone who's not set up to do that, it's a huge amount of work. So you're yeah. putting a burden on these businesses. But for the, the thing for us that we would run into is that it's hard enough to compete with online stores as a brick and mortar store in Alaska. And mm-hmm. so, you know, every percent of sales tax you put on makes it a little bit harder for a small business to be viable. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta think about though, Pat. You know, if you increase the oil taxes, though, then it's gonna be harder for the oil companies to do business by just a little bit. There's only so long that that oil is worth pulling out of the ground. There's, there is a certain school of thought that we should try to sell as much of it as fast as we can and earn as much money from it as we can now, while while it's still viable to kind of build up our revenue and, and use that to transition to new energy sources. Well, I think too, I mean, it goes back to really like why the Alaska Permanent Fund is such an important part of all this, right? And I think, you know, the the the, the answer, and I think the real reason you're seeing a lot of motion or movement on the revenue picture is that as strongly as the pro PFD people have argued for so long, I don't think they're really that interested in actually overspending the Alaska Permanent Fund to get there. I think there are certainly people who would like to overspend the Permanent Fund. But like, as soon as you start eating eating into the Permanent Fund itself, it can go sideways really quick, right? It's the golden goose, the golden salmon, right? And then you start killing it, and it, it's not going to be around forever. And so, you know, that's sort of the great thing about it is that, you know, you treat it right, and the Permanent Fund will be around forever it's permanent right and and i think that's i think that's what's most i think there's a lot of energy interest now in in not cooking it right and and so i think that's what i think that's a big part of it right now is you know you look i think some of the conversations you've heard i've heard around the house is basically like the one bright line on it all is that they don't want to overspend the permanent fund they don't want to overdraw it basically they don't want to break the pmv rule the spending limit rules we have on it because it just creates such a big problem in the long term it's nice to and hear so, that there's a lot of support for protecting the the I mean, there's certainly people who if given the given the opportunity would love to spend it all you know there's a lot of people you hear a lot oh our dividends are are still in there you got to get them out for us blah 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 um so there's certainly it's not to say there's zero people that want you know but there's there's certainly people who do but i think it i think the vast majority of people do understand just what overspending the dividend would actually do anything else interesting happen in the legislature this week i know there were some uh 
appointments and some uh, I that actually went up. I was going to go testify on a uh, uh, education bill. They passed a BSA increase. Um, I did the line was so long. I didn't end up testifying. I actually just hung out in the hallway and talked to the little ladies who came down for um, Americans for Prosperity to. <laughs> Or what is it, Alaska? Wait, what is the AFP thing? It's, yeah, Alaskans for Prosperity. Yeah. Or AFP Alaska or something. Yeah. yeah so that anyways, was... I just sat in the hall and talked to them about and It was really interesting because they were, they were listing off all these great reasons why schools are important and why we need to have good teachers and why we need to teach our kids how to read. And, and then their conclusion was just so wildly different than my own. And they're like, and that's why we need to never increase school funding. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was, but they were, I, they were like decent, like they started from a decent position and ended with like a, a very confusing conclusion. Yeah. Uh, so I watched the the hearing immediately after that, the next day, where they uh, the, they they took up the, the the BSA legislation and then and then moved it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting because um, Representative Tom McKay, a Republican from Anchorage, oh, yeah. uh, basically, you know, he started off with an amendment that would have cut the BSA increase from a proposal of. $1,250 to $150. And then he basically said, oh, we call it public testimony, but a vast majority of folks who testified last night were paid dis- school district employees of some sort. What's the, let me, let's just, well, I want to hear the clip. I don't want to hear your impression of it. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're it you're doing your twirly mustache voice. Here, okay. I got it. I got it right here. Uh, Representative McKay, would you like to speak to your amendment? So, Mr. Chairman, uh, I do have several uh, comments that I'd like to make regarding Amendment 1. First of all, we call it public testimony, but a vast majority of the folks that testified last night for five hours were paid school district employees of some sort, principals, superintendents, teachers, people that make their living off of the BSA and the money we send them. So it's not necessarily true that we were receiving public testimony. Uh, I speak for the folks that sit home and work. Maybe they were working, uh, unable to attend the public testimony meeting that we had. There are many people who oppose such a large increase in the base student allocation that uh, Representative Ortiz has proposed. You see, there's two components to this. There's the base student allocation, and then there's the foundation formula. The foundation formula, from what I understand, was actually developed in 1978. It's been tweaked a little bit along the way. But the foundation formula is essentially a black box, which you put money in one end of it, and it doubles the amount of money after it comes out the other end of the black box. Yeah, Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty bogus because, I, the first of all, the meeting that he's talking about happened after work hours, and uh, I don't know who these people are. They get to sit home and go to work. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I know. I thought um, they were against working from home. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's an interesting take uh, that the uh, <laughs> people who work in schools are not members of the public is, seems like a, a um, strong opinion. <laughs> 
It is. I mean, honestly, like it was a. So this meeting was was grim, right? It was an interesting and grim look into the beliefs of some of these far right opponents yeah. to school. I and mean, we'll just call but them what they this are. Is right? They're opponents I mean, to public education. I, and he's not know. complaining about the like people that they flew in for like Americans for Prosperity or whatever. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I had heard that they flew flew all those people in. You know, talking to you, I think during or right after you went up there. I got the sense that we were going to have testimony completely opposed to it. You know, they kind of orchestrated it carefully with this fly-in to to kind of yeah. load it again in their favor, right? It felt that way. and But it didn't look that way. You know, it didn't, yeah. I guess it didn't sound like that at all. And so, you know, I think that, you know, I don't know. I, I could go run, on for a while. No, no. It's just, it is interesting. It is interesting that they coordinated a fly-in for testimony and then and still got drowned out. Yeah, and, that, and then had to had to like pretend that everyone who was testifying was was a you know like invalid because they were somehow connected to education, you know, and like yeah. like I said, I went up there to testify, and the only reason I didn't testify is because it was like three hours in that I was going to get to go up and say something, and so I, you know, I, I know they up, should do restaurant, you know, the 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 restaurant bookings, you know, the old oh text you on your phone when you five minutes to get back there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I could go down to my buzzer. office and do some work and come back. Um, yeah, there's something interesting about that. You know, like the testimony is, um, it feels so much more important and so much more personal to sit at the table and to say something to the legislature than it does to send in an email or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talk to someone in the hallway or whatever. It feels so formal and so real. And like, it's, you know, honestly, for me, at least it's nerve wracking. And I don't really have a fear of public speaking, but for some reason, when I testify, I get like, deeply jangly <laughs> and it's it, it it feels important and uh yeah it was interesting to see how many people came to testify and uh you know that room was packed i didn't even get in the room mm-hmm. i i was in the hallway for probably 20 minutes before i ended up uh yeah. wandering out but yeah so, it was a big big night I, yeah. I love it when the building gets packed with people though it really makes me happy. i think it's interesting yeah i mean it really it tells you a lot about what matters i think right mm-hmm. and um, who shows so anyways, up and why? Yeah. So, so I guess to, to get to what they did in the committee real quick is that, so they vote down McKay's amendment, um, which, you know, we get to hear some other very dumb things said about education, dumb slash mean thing, mean spirited things, you know, from representative Mike Prox, from representative Jamie Allard. Allard at one point made this comment about how teachers aren't even taught to teach in schools and how someone told her that I actually was able to track that person down. And, and what it was is that someone basically told her that like, you know, teachers typically aren't taught the science of reading, which is more along the lines of like high level, like the theory. And it's like almost the difference of like learning how to work on a car versus like learning, you know, thermal, engineering right? right like they're just you can you can you can know how to do one of the ones without knowing the deep science behind it. anyway sure. so just like kind of this weird mean-spirited kind of stuff so all to say they didn't you know they they didn't that side of it didn't get their way in it but the pro-education side didn't really get its way either and so this is kind of where like the kind of interesting element now of having a you know less ideologically like homogenous legislature is playing out. So it's a seven person committee. 
with basically like three Democrats slash independents, three hardcore Republicans, and you got in the middle a moderate representative, Justin Ruffridge. And so he's talked this whole session that he's in support of school funding. He's, he, you know, he's not mean, he's not a mean spirited doofus. So like, uh, I think he actually like, understands that we need to do something about it. What was interesting, though, is that like the bill that they ultimately produced, because I wasn't expecting them to get like the full twelve hundred dollars out of it, but the level that they landed on was literally the level that his school district needs <laughs> to avoid making massive cuts. Uh-huh. So it's a instead of a twelve hundred dollar uh, increase, it's six hundred eighty dollars with a little bit more in the second year, which is good. I get, you know, two year, you know, consistent funding is always good, but it literally is the amount of money that his district specifically needs to, to avoid cuts. So I I don't know. I mean, we haven't like that. We didn't, no one really like dove into this in a major way, but to me, it just feels very weird. Yeah. Well, he he said something about that though, in the meeting that their district in rural Alaska wasn't going to be able to get by on that. And he's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't mean to disrespect the, you know, there was some back and forth about that. I, that I had seen. Yeah. But it's, I don't mean to disrespect that. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, no, but he put that number up. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is, um, like, I understand that's the number they landed on, but what I'm hearing and seeing is that this is a starting point like this is this is really where the floor is now and that it could get increased in another committee there's a eventually there's probably going to be a conference committee between the senate and the house like this Mm -hmm. is just really a seems like a decent starting point and that it probably will end up higher um and that this is sort of the low end of the negotiating um yeah to me and so i don't think that this is i wouldn't like put a pin on Refrage and be like, this is all about his school. You know, I mean, whatever. It's it's not. I this. I don't think we're talking final numbers yet. I I just I don't think I w- if I was in his seat, I don't think I would have done literally my, the number that my district yeah. needs. It's just that I think <laughs> it does that it was come just, across as like a little selfish. Yeah, yeah, I think that like, I don't know. I mean, I know that he's a freshman legislator. Yeah. You know, that, maybe yeah. he's sort of stumbling over it, but it just looked rough to do i don't know that's yeah. well, just, I, I, I don't think, think it's just that hard was to... intent i don't think that was an intentional outcome i think that was just a, a a good floor to set yeah i mean and i think if and honestly too i think if i had to guess the number that would have come out of the house knowing that you know guys like representative ruffridge are you know some of the key votes on this i wouldn't have guessed much higher than that either to be honest that like you know it, Especially when you have a side that, you know, thinks that they should basically just get pocket lint, right? So, you know, there's there's a pretty wide range of outcomes and, and positions here. And so, you know, when you're averaging basically between 1250 and, you know, I think that these some of these Republicans, if given their... Uh, if they got their way, it would be a negative number, I, yeah. I think. So, uh, so I think we're cutting the, you know, cutting the difference here. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it's interesting in all of this and sort of the big picture. It feels like we are lumping and lurching towards less of a structural deficit. You know, we're we're yes. approaching the idea of like there are services that need to be funded, and we realize we can't continue to cut them uniformly across the board. No one is talking right. about um, uniform cuts across the board no one is talking about 
you know, cutting 5% from all state services across the board. Like that's right. that kind of language from like from Dunleavy land in 2019 is gone and is no longer part of the discussion. Well, yeah. And they, they, so they, they also this week, they passed their fast track supplemental budget. Um, there's not a lot in it, but it does contain like six, $7 million for, to address the food stamp backlog. Uh, it also includes some money to address the shortage of public defenders and, um, Office of Public Advocacy also takes care of this issue where we might run out of money by the end of the year. So a lot of this sort of pieces, right, are kind of coming together. And I think it is like lumping and lurching your way there. Um, but I think we're making steps. Like I know that I, I know that I can definitely sound pretty like pessimistic about it. And that's just because I've been watching it for like, you know, the, the, the kind of the worst part of the last our financial woes. But, you know, there are, you know, the fact that we have a, you know, Senate a oil tax proposal that has the Senate president's name, you know, on the news release, the fact that we have, you know, some of the most conservative people proposing revenue of any kind, um, the fact that we have the, the, you know, the House is deciding to, you know, that they really can't pay out the big dividend that they've been demanding. Yeah. I think those are all steps to getting us closer to there. And I think that really going back to Senator Hoffman too, I think there's a real understanding that, you know, it needs to be a little bit from everybody and that maybe the dividend has been cut too much. It, and it is it right. It's sort of been the easiest one. There, you know, there's not a bunch of like lobbyists in that building that are advocating for people that are, you know, banking on the dividend helping pay heating bills. Right. It's not like a huge constitu- you know, huge moneyed constituency that is, can, can really try to influence legislators. And so it, it feels like they're lumping and lurching their way there with like a little bit of balance in mind, which I think is sort of surprising a little bit. And, and you know, we're at the we're at the beginning of this, these conversations, really. I don't think we're going to see many of these proposals even get through the legislature this year. But I, you know, I think talking kind of unpacking it with you is actually making me feel a little more like optimistic about it, yeah. that we can actually maybe make some progress towards like closing what has basically been this like problem we've all known about for like a decade now and, and getting to some real resolution with it. And I think that sounds good because, you know, the, the biggest thing that I, that's so frustrating to me about how this, the financial deficit structural deficit has played out is it just feels like it's so much fighting without making a whole lot of progress. And it, it feels like a big kind of opportunity cost, right? Like what, could right. we have, you know, we talk what about we've been building, we talk about, well, we talk about like educational achievement, right? And, and everybody's all, you know, all the Republicans are like, oh, we, we can't read. And it's like, well, what have we done in the last 10 years that does anything on that front? Right. We haven't really funded the schools. We've passed a reading bill that we didn't fund either. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I think that some of these things, you know, some of these issues that everyone complains about really haven't had much attention because we there's been so much kind of attention and teeth gnashing and all that sort of stuff about the structural deficit and so if we can close parts of it i i really hope that we can start paying some more attention to these other things that kind of that need that desperately need attention yeah so all right well i think that's a good place to end for this week but uh yeah good nice, rant nice chat with you i love rant it out. yeah gotta get a good rant in um, all right. Well, hey, we'll we'll talk again soon. And um, yep. oh, and also, I uh, I'll, I'm, I might throw in a few little like 
side episode type things. I've got some interviews that I haven't really done much with, but I think I'm going to just sure. sort of chop them together. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to th- just throw those in the stack. They might appear randomly. Sounds good. All right. Well, hey, uh, have a good one. I'll talk to you later. All right. Later.